0: You like Camper? I like it. I lived as an ordinary person most of my life, even though I was living a parallel and increasingly sick life.
1: Okay, we're on. We're on. This is the one where we talk about murder. Yes, I am Maggie. I'm Cassie. And we are going to be talking in depth about Ed Camper. My favorite. Yes, why is he your favorite? Uh, because he's, like, almost a normal person, but he's not. Yeah, he straight up looks like a normal person. He sounds oh, he like a normal person. he does not look person. like a normal person. Tell us why he doesn't look like a normal person. Because he's six foot nine <laughs> <laughs> And 285 pounds. And he was a 13-pound newborn. That's too big for That's any newborn. newborn. That's, That's why his mother, his mother hated him. <laughs> him. Yeah. 13 pounds. Oh, Jesus. Okay, this episode is going to be out, like, a day late because we just had a lot of things going on couldn't record work stuff kids happens but we're going to be talking in depth about ed kemper's life his childhood his murders his trial and all the weird shit he did while he was in prison yeah he's highly likable if you don't know his murders yeah if you don't know anything that he's actually done yes like if he's uh, i don't know for say narrating a book which you can't get by the way really no no I think they were narrated, like, specifically for prisoners. I thought he narrated, like, for blind people. He did, but I think, like, you can't get any of them. I tried so hard. I just wanted Ed Kemper to read me a book, and I was going to fall asleep. (laughs) You can't get them. That's really it. But, like, arguably, he's the most successful voice actor, like, ever. Yeah, like 5,000 hours? I think it's more than that. Really? Yeah. Okay. Tell me about Ed Kemper's childhood, please. Okay, so he was a 13-pound newborn. That's too big. Yeah, I know. He was the middle child. He was born in Burbank, California, December 18th, 1948. Hmm. Little Christmas baby. Hmm. Um, he, I said he was the middle, and he was the only son. His parents were Clarnell Elizabeth Kemper, and his dad was also Edmund Emil Kemper, and went by E.E. E. That's no. His grandfather was also. Yeah, he's Edmund the, Emil. he's Edmund Emil Kemper the third. But I think E.E. E. is a terrible nickname. It is a terrible nickname. Very unfortunate. Anything else? Ed? Yes. Eddie? E.E. E. No. No, he was mm. Um. So his dad used to be like a... He was in the army. And he worked on like nukes and stuff like that. Oh, good. So his mother at first was like very impressed by his work. And then when he was done with the army, he went into being be an electrician. Which was a very lucrative job. But she thought it was like girly almost being an electrician is girly Uh uh-huh oh she like thought it wasn't very masculine Mm. so she often Mm. berated for his work she also refused to show Kemper any sort of affection because she said and I quote it would turn him into a fairy boy like the boy down the street (laughs) a lot of things to unpack there she was afraid he would be gay that's it right there that's it her 13 pound newborn Mm mm-hmm yep Um, and then his um yeah so eventually their I mean their marriage didn't work out Mm -mm. and it was devastating to Ed because he like idolized his father and his dad was really the only person that was nice to him yeah because his mom was not at all not at all so then when they get divorced oh also I'll just like tell you this shocking Ed didn't fit in in school weird i wonder why oh because he was like a foot taller than everybody in his (laughs) class by the time he was like six so he you know didn't get a like what he didn't fit in Mm, literally 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 did not fit in i could you imagine though no you're like four years old and like the size of a 10 year old you're like he was six four by the time he was 14 oh no that's that's too young to be that tall yeah too young to be that tall Poor Ed. Mm-hmm. So, um, he, you know, he showed some signs that he was a little off early on. He killed a couple family cats. One of them, he, um, he killed one and then buried it in the backyard. Okay. But then they got another cat. Don't get any more cats. Nope. They didn't know what happened to that cat. Huh. They got another cat. And then the cat favored his sisters, like his mother did. So then. I bet that went well with, for Ed. Yeah, he loved that. Um, so then he killed that cat and put its head on a spike. Mm-mm. Uh-huh. No. Yeah. And the first cat, I should say, he did more than just buried it. He buried it alive. Oh, I baby. I know. It's what are you going to do? It makes me very sad. Yeah. So it's referred to that he had, like, a dark fantasy life as a child. He would make his sisters play electric chair with him. That's healthy. Where he would, like, writhe on the floor and pretend to be dead good he would also play like gas chamber where they would throw things at him and he would pretend to die (laughs) and then they played this game where they would roll his little sister up in a rug tightly and see how long it would take her to get out have they heard of tag duck duck goose ring around the rosy? he also had several near-death experiences from playing these fucked up games one was when his older sister tried to push him in front of a train (laughs) and the other one was i shouldn't laugh at that (laughs) And then the other one was when she pushed him into the deep end of a pool and he almost drowned. Wow. This Mm -hmm. is a great family environment. Yep. And then let's let's add on top of this that after the parents were divorced, um, Clarnell made Ed sleep in the basement where she would lock him in there basically after dinner. Like put a lock on the door. Really? And he was afraid of the dark and the basement was also infested with rats. Good. She definitely wasn't playing favorites with her children at all no but like you're scared of the dark as a children and then you literally hear things moving around no, no and thank your you. mom won't help you no thank you he was like eight you guys Ugh. it's sad he also as a child his older sister was teasing him because he had like a crush on his teacher mm-hmm. and she said if you like him so much you should just kiss her and he responded with if i kiss her i'd have to kill her first um that's like not a huge tell in his you know like what's to come for his future or anything you know. No, so like weird weird kid. Very there were weird. signs and his mother like only furthered the signs. Yeah, she just she didn't help anything at all. No. So then it got to a point where he went to live with his dad when he was 14. Um they lived in California. His stepmom and stepbrother, his dad had remarried and had another child were intimidated by Ed. Because of his size. Because he was six foot nine. But then he would, he didn't like his stepmom or his brother. So then he would do things like intimidate them and like stare them down in the kitchen until they would stop talking. And then there was one time that his stepmom was coming out of the shower and he like stared at her breasts and followed her into her bedroom. Creepy. And it was at that point that she was basically like, he's got to go. Bye. Peace out. So his dad like didn't really know what to do with him. He didn't want to send him back to Cornell because he knew the woman that she was. Right, right. So then he talked his parents into taking him. Mm -hmm. So he moved to California, northern California, kind of like in the boonies. They had like a ranch. Mm -hmm. And he lived there. Um, His grandfather, I guess, was already considered senile. Oh, So it was like mostly his grandmother who took care of him. Right, right, right. His grandmother was, like, very um, confident in her parenting. She was strict, but she knew, like, knew that she had raised good kids, so she wasn't, like, really budging with Ed at all. Okay. So he felt like she was nagging him. Because he was used to being locked in the basement. Just like his mom. Like, his yeah. um, grandfather taught him how to hunt and stuff because he lived on the ranch. And so he would go outside and she'd be like, Ed, don't kill any birds. And he'd go out there and, like, kill birds. Well, yeah, he's a kid and you just told him not to do something. Right, but then she'd, like, bitch at him and be like, I told you not to. Mm-hmm. So then eventually he decides, that bitch has got to go. Has to. Has to. She nags way too much. Yep. So his grandfather goes out Um, for some groceries, mm -hmm. and he kills his grandmother. Great. He shoots her in the back of the head. And then he doesn't want his grandfather to see his dead wife. So as his grandfather's unloading the groceries from the car, he shoots him in the back of the head. He should have thought about that before he shot his grandmother. He should have. So then he's panicking, right? right? He calls his mom. she's the last person I would call, Ah, uh, yeah, so she says she has to turn he has to turn himself in, so he does, okay. He calls the police. he's waiting outside. <laughs> They're amazed at how like, calm he is, yeah, they ask him in custody why he did it, and he said it was because he wanted to know what it felt like. Um, we don't love that. nope, it was four days after my birthday. We don't love that either august twenty seventh nineteen fifty four Not off to a great start, ever. No, not off to a great start. Any of it. Yep, so then when he's um, in, he goes to like Juvie. I'm sorry, not 54, 64. Right. So then he goes to like Juvie, I'm assuming is what it is. He was there until he was 20. It was a mental health um, institution. Okay. Because that's that's where he's declared a schizophrenic. Yeah, well that's where like the police. Yes categorize him as a scared, a is the name of the place. Yeah. And then they, um, take him and they do an IQ test on him and he gets an IQ of 146, which 0.25% of the population has 12 people, 12 people in the whole world <laughs> are as smart as Ed, Plus Kemper. Ed Kemper. Plus Ed Kemper. I hope you feel bad about your intelligence. <laughs> so they decide that there's like no way he could have been a paranoid schizophrenic, because even if they are intelligent, they have, like, a really hard time, like, composing their thoughts together. Right. So then they kind of, like, study him and reevaluate him. Um, and then they realize, like, what a improved person he's trying to be. So the psychologists start giving him, like, clergy work. Like, take mm. these papers back and forth, you know, wherever they're going. Special treatment for good behavior. So in that time, he starts to study the tests of the other Mm patients and learns what answers the psychologists are looking for and what answers they don't like to the questions and because he has an IQ of 146 it takes him like two seconds to memorize it right 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 so then as these tests go on they give Ed more responsibilities and realize he's almost like gifted in this stuff um so then they allow him to no. administer the test on patients no they sure do no i wish everybody could just hear the eye roll i just did i know <laughs> and then there's like no credit for it because i think even if ed ed says he did it but even if he did i don't think anybody would want to give him credit for this no but he says he created a test that showed like how outwardly aggressive people were or willing to be because hmm. like people like ted bundy like talking about their murders weren't willing to be like I did this. No, he straight up will... Or like, talk about how outwardly aggressive they were as a human. Right. Whereas Ed Kemper totally would. Yeah. He straight up says in explicit detail several things that he does. Several things that he does. All of the things. Yes. He somehow, they decide to let him go when he's 20. He's declared sane. Yeah. yeah he's fine. He's, he's completely rehabilitated However, shooting his grandparents. They do say that like under no circumstances should he live with his mother. Correct. However, we run into a bit of a situation. <laughs> his dad doesn't want him because he killed his parents. Well. His sisters don't want him because they killed, he's killed their grandparents. Well, Also, this man is 6'9". Like. You can't control him in any way. Yeah, like a, just a, like if he decides he's going to kill you, like, okay. Bye. Peace out. You're yeah, done. Yeah. And his mom had been married and divorced twice. Um, in the five year period, he was in the mental institution. But she decides to take him back. And the last person because the halfway houses were full i know i know so he goes and lives with his mom because and she we think she decides to take him back because she was also craving like love and acceptance from a man and the son that you abused from ages zero to 15 is the right person to seek that from yep uh-huh Mm-hmm. he sure is so he stays with his mother he attended a community college, which was, like, part of his parole requirements. Okay. I'm assuming because he was so smart. Yeah. Um, and they had hope, and he had hoped he would become a police officer, but he was rejected because of his size. Which is so sad. He's 6'9". Why would you, he's going to be the most intimidating police officer in the history of police officers. I know, but, like, does he fit in the car? Maybe they were worried he couldn't run fast. I don't I don't know. think the Army would take him. At 6'9"? Uh-uh. Like, because he's 6'9". Uh-huh fascinating. Hiddest. Yep. I'm also a little heightest, and I'm very short. Same. (laughs) Um, Ed Kemper said, um, so after he got, like, rejected from the police academy, Mm -hmm. he still stayed buddy buddies with them. They all went to a bar together. Um, I heard someone describe Ed Kemper's relationship as with the police as somebody who was like, let's get a beer, and you're like, oh, fuck, like, Ed wants to get a beer. Like, all right. They go to the bar and then you're five beers deep and as your best friend. Yeah. We love Eddie. Because they would talk to him about the crimes. Yes. Um, He said that when he, after he moved in with his mother, that my mother and I started right in on horrendous battles, just horrible battles, violent and vicious. Good. That's very healthy. Uh Uh-huh. So he worked menial jobs. um, Then he saved enough money and he moved out to live with, he moved out and lived with a friend in Alameda. Mm Uh-huh. Um, he still complained of being, of not being able to get away from his mother because she regularly phoned him and just stopped by to say hi. No, thank you. Like, that doesn't, at this point, he's a, an adult. He's a grown adult. Also, like, she doesn't sound like she likes him. So, like, why are you just, like, stopping by for, like, you didn't like him for the first, all of his life. All of his, even when he went back. Ever. You've never liked him. Yeah. So, he often had financial problems, um, and, and it, Resulted in him frequently returning to his mother's apartment. Mm-hmm. Um, at Santa Cruz Beach, Kemper met a student from Turlock High School to whom he became engaged with in March of 1973. Oh, no, thank you. Yep, she was a child. And he was 24. No, thank you. Yeah, she was 17. Why were Where were her parents? Anywhere in this. I uh, mm. I'm gone. <sighs> um, they broke off their engagement after Kemper's arrest. Well, I would hope so. And her fiancé's parents requested that her name never be revealed to the public, and it never will be. Well, as a minor, her parents have the right to request her records to be sealed, so. I know, but just like. Ted Bundy's daughter sort of thing. like Yeah. If you were Ed Kemper's fiancé, just like send me an anonymous email. Send me anything. Ed Kemper, send us the name. Yeah. He's kept it quiet for so long. He has. Like. Almost 40 years. And he's a chatty Kathy. Oh, he's so, yeah, he sure is. Several interviews. He loves the attention. Uh-huh. Um, so we're going to get into the murders. Okay. But Ed likes to preface this. He picked up around 150 hitchhikers before he actually killed anybody. Yes, yeah, so in one of so his, like, his... like, here's your gold star. <laughs> in one of his interviews, in the like the three years that he said he had picked up hitchhikers, he would picked up over a thousand hitchhikers. In that three-year span. Because he said, so when he got released, he loved to drive. It basically Uh said that he, like, gave him the freedom that he was lacking. He drove the 1869 Ford Galaxy. Yeah. Little little car. Very little car for a very large man. Very large man. Okay, so Ed Kemper killed a total of ten people, his grandparents, and then six female college students, his mother and her friend. So his mother worked for the college. Kemper's car had the decal of the school on it. So that gave him leeway into, like letting people think that he was somebody they could trust. Well, they also announced it on the news. They were like, don't get in people's car unless exactly. it has a university sticker. Unless it has that UCSC label decal on it, don't get in. It's not safe. Don't do it. So Kemper says that his frustration and inability to communicate was the reason he started out picking up the women. Yes. And then he would, like, push the limit further each time he picked somebody up. So when he started, there would be no gun. Like, his, he had no, like, ill intentions. And then... Uh, he would like start picking somebody up with the gun in the car with him or he would like drive to like a vulnerable place as he called it and then take them where they wanted to go like he was just testing the waters basically on what he could get away with Yeah. and then he would like bring the gun with him and he knew like he would have this internal debate with himself on whether or not he would pull the gun out because he knew that as soon as the gun came out he would have to kill them so his first two victims I'm so sorry, he also heard this just came back to my mind. There was a patient in there for raping somebody, oh. and he read in their file, like their patient file, that, because he would pick up tips from those as well, Good. that if you rape somebody, you might as well murder them because they're going to get you caught. So he also had that, like, floating in his mind. Well, he's not wrong. Okay, so <laughs> his, <laughs> his first two victims were Mary Ann Pesci and Anita luches They were students at Fresno State College, and they were hitchhiking to Stanford University after a couple of days they spent in Berkeley. So he picks them up on Ashford Avenue on May 5th, 1972. When they never reached Stanford, their parents filed missing persons reports, but both girls were already long dead. He drove around with them for a little bit before he pulled a gun on both women and pulled off into a deserted area. He forced Anita into the trunk so that he could put his full attention on Marianne. He handcuffed her later in the back seat, face down, tied a plastic bag over her head and attempted attempted to strangle her with a piece of Terry cloth. Uh-huh. Uh, Marianne was fighting back though, and she fought back for 20 minutes. Wow. She was like trying to bargain with him and like trying to open up that line of communication like you don't have to do this, it's not too late. you can stop. Um, she bit a hole into the bag, the cloth snapped. Kemper got frustrated, pulled his knife out and stabbed her repeatedly and eventually slashed her throat from ear to ear. After that, he pulled Anita from the trunk, and right here is where I'm going to insert Ed Kemper's audio on how he describes what he did to Anita.
0: i just gone through a horrible experience with her roommate, stabbing her. And I was in shock because of that. And I'm walking back there bewildered. I gotta kill her. I can't let her go. She's gonna tell on me. She sees the blood on my hands. What are you doing? She pulled back and she gasped. And I think, whoa, I don't want her to know what happened. I said, your friend got smart with me. She'd been getting really smart with me a lot, but I never hit her. I killed her, but I didn't hit her. I said, your friend got smart with me, and I hit her. I think I broke her nose. You better come help. She's about to die. Why why does she have to know that? I couldn't deal with telling her that and when I attacked her she didn't at first realize what was happening it didn't go through She had very heavy coveralls on it knocked her right up into the lid of the car but it didn't pierce the clothing so wasn't that swell a knife anyway I went out and bought a, a pawn shop huge knife and uh, I kept on it just mindlessly attacking she falls back into the trunk I just I killed a young woman. I slammed down the lid of the trunk. She isn't dead. She's dying.
1: So once Anita was dead, Kemper closes the trunk, and he, like, actually experiences a moment of panic. He thinks that he has locked his keys in the trunk. He freaks out in a deserted area. Keys are locked in the car with two dead bodies. He tries to, like, pry the trunk open. He kicks at it. He pulls at it. He tries the doors. He straight up just runs from the crime scene. And that's when he trips on the other gun that he had tucked in his waistband that he totally forgot was there. So he trips, eats shit, falls down, and he's super flustered. Big fall. (laughs) Big, very long fall. He takes a moment to recollect himself and he finds the keys in his front pocket. And he like is on record saying like, I never put my keys there, I don't know what they're doing, but I found them, it's okay. So he gets back in the car, he drove around with them in the car for a while trying to decide what to do. He eventually drove back to his apartment and he brought Mary Ann's body in where he undressed and dissected her. He had also beheaded Anita's, Anita's body. Mary Ann was buried in the plastic bag that he had used to, to try to suffocate her and he kept both Mary Ann and Anita's head for a while and disposed of them in a ravine. Marianne's head was found and identified in August of 1972, three months after the girls went missing. Anita's head and body were never found. So this is also like one of our, my favorite Ed Kemper quotes ever comes yes. in. He had, like, one of the heads propped up on a chair, and it fell. And if you don't know this, the human head weighs, like, 11 pounds, which sort of freaks me out because I feel like my neck isn't strong enough for that, but obviously it is. It does it daily. It holds it's it up. A- 24-7. It does a great job. Um, Thanks, Nick. But it <laughs> falls to the ground, and it, like, literally sounds like a bowling ball because it's 11, like, your hydro hitting your apartment e- floor on the yeah. second story. Yep. And his downstairs neighbor at, like, 2 o'clock in the morning literally grabs a broom and is like, <laughs> Keep Shut it down out there! And Ed responds with, sorry my head hit the floor my head hit the floor (laughs) my head any head hit the floor i'm so sorry i also read he would have like conversations with these heads he sure would like they were a couple (laughs) by the way he has like his almost child bride at this point yes he sure does okay so after his murders started kemper would frequent a bar in santa cruz called the jury room And he would hang out in this bar because a lot of cops would go there after shift, particularly the ones that were investigating the co-ed murders. He would chat with the cops about, like, the publicized details and ask questions about the cases to see what information they knew about it. The police didn't suspect him of anything, and they said that he was friendly. They'd buy him a beer, he'd buy them a beer. When asked if Kebber thought the police liked him, he said he was a, quote-unquote, friendly nuisance, and friendly nuisances get overlooked. Uh, They called him Big Ed. And there is a small sign hanging in the on a wall at the jury room acknowledging Kemper. And it says, Kemper spent a considerable, considerable amount of his free time hanging out at a bar called The Jury Room, which served as a watering hole for local cops, sheriffs, and prosecuting attorneys. Kemper was quite well known there, where he was affectionately known as Big Ed, even by the regulars who were aware of his colorful history. Colorful history. Colorful history. Terrible history. Awful history. Murdering dickbag to like call it a colorful history after he's one of the serial killers active in the area is like one thing but after like they he still skull fucks your coats? Yes. Colorful history as I think coined the term skull fucking. I mean like that itself but I think like it was, you know, his in thing and um, honor. He loved him. it the first one. <laughs> the first known one. Yes. Okay, so on the evening of September 14th, 1972, he picked up a 15-year-old named aiko ko on her way to dance class she had gotten tired of waiting for the bus and decided to hitchhike her way there Ugh, i know she got suspicious of kemper and began to panic but kemper managed to convince her that he was planning on using the gun to kill himself and that he would let her go unharmed if she did not try to signal the police or any people passing by he drove her into the mountains and parked out of sight he at this point had locked himself out of the car and manages to talk her into letting him back in saying that he was, like, sorry. He was just, he played up that he was sometimes, like, he would play up the fact that he might be suicidal to get, like, sympathy from the people where he, like, fucked up in these situations. Clumsy. Big goof. (sighs) What are we going to do? So, she lets him back in. He tapes her mouth shut, and he tried to suffocate her by putting his index and thumb finger into her nostrils. Also, like, if you're hitchhiking, which don't, but if you are, and the person locks themselves out of the car, just drive away. Bye! Sorry, you locked yourself out. See you later. I'm taking this part of the place. You've lo- you've drove driven us into the mountains. Yeah, there's nothing good that will happen in the mountains. Nothing. <laughs> Stay out of the forest, just Karen and Georgia say. Seriously. So she tried to fight him off, but she was only five four and 105 pounds. So oh. I know she's a baby. He's so she- literally three of her. Yes, literally three of her. Uh, so she lost conscien- consciousness, but woke up moments later. Kemper began to suffocate her again, but this time until she stopped breathing completely. He removed her from the car, laid her on the ground, and raped her. He strangled her with her own scarf to make sure she was absolutely dead, and then put her body into the trunk. With her body still in the trunk, he stopped at a local bar and had a couple beers. It's stressful killing somebody. Uh, he then went to his mother's house. He would occasionally go out to his trunk to make sure that she was like still there and just kind of like look at her until his mom went to bed. So late also th- couldn't like anybody just like drive up and see what homie was doing. I would think so. Um, late that night, he brought her body into his apartment and placed it on his bed. He dissected her and disposed of her head and hands in a different location than the rest of her body, in his mother's house. In his mother's house. Several of these happened in his mother's house. Oh my god. Yeah. The day after he killed her, he had a follow-up and a reevaluation with the, psychi- the with the psychiatrist at a Tescadero where he has been. Uh-huh. Uh and he still had her head in his trunk during this appointment where they declared him sane. No more evaluations, no more checkups, no more parole. You're good. Also, you guys, like, let Charles Manson go, too, and that was a big fuck-up. <sighs> yeah. So four months go by. At the same time Kemper is active, there is another serial killer by the name of Herbert Mullen, who killed 13 people in the Santa Cruz area. Kemper and Mullen both being serial killers, plus one mass murder earned Santa Cruz the murder capital of the world title from 1970 to 1973. Great. On January 8th, 1973, Kemper decided to buy a new gun, a 22 automatic pistol, and he had no problems buying that gun, even though his prior murder charges and the Mental Health Institute stint were definitely on record, and he, like, should not have been able to do that. Well, because it was just paper. There was, like, no computers. Like, his gun, like, registration literally, like, had his name, the gun, and an X through it, meaning that, like, he technically couldn't own it. Right, but then somebody straight up, like, pulled that and was like, ah, here you go. Just for fun. No, 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 like, the shot people couldn't get it. Like, it was on the police. The police constantly had to go back through. Annoying. That's how they, like, found him. I mean, not for the murder. Right, right, right. Okay, so he was worried the police would catch him with the illegal gun. So he went out cruising for a victim that day. Uh, He had a trick that he would use when he would try to pick up these college-age women where he would... Like when they were trying to hitchhike somewhere. Um, So if they were kind of hesitant to get into the car with him, he would kind of like sigh and like look at his watch like he was annoyed and he had somewhere to be. And he'd be like, come on, I don't have time for this. Do you need a ride or not? And most of the time, it like basically gave them the impression that he was in a hurry trying to do something nice for them and that he definitely did not have time to potentially chop their heads off. Which he absolutely did. He absolutely did because that was his main motive. So the same day that Kemper buys his new gun, he goes out and he picks up 18 year old Cynthia, which who, she goes by Cindy, uh, and Shawl. He drives her into the hills near Watsonville, California, and tries to get her into the trunk. So at this time his arm is in a cast. Shawl got back into the trunk of the car on her own free will. So he said that he uh, he just wanted her he told her that he needed to get back and she needed to get back into the trunk so that they could go back to his house because he just wanted to talk to her. Again, he's like playing up the, the kind of like victim. I need help. We need to talk. She gets into the trunk. Um, as soon as she gets in the trunk, he shoots her. And at this point in his life, he had moved back in with his mother. So he brought Cindy's body back into his room and hid it there in a cupboard waiting for his mom to go to work the next day. Once she was gone, he had sex with the corpse, washed it, and then dissected her body in the bathtub. Why are they washing people? they got to stop washing. He had to get rid of the evidence. They have to stop. They have to stop washing people. He also worse. it makes it worse. It doesn't make it worse. He also removed the bullet from her skull, so they didn't like know what bullet was used, what gun was used. He put the rest of her body into plastic bags, which he threw off of a cliff. Um, but her body was discovered within twenty four hours, and Kemper said that he wasn't worried one bit because he did a great cleanup job. And was that the one whose like hand they found? Like a surfer, like found her hand in the ocean. I don't know. Oh. One of them, they, like, found the torso? Oh, no. Some of them were dumped in the shore. She was dumped off of a cliff. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, On February 5th, 1973, less than a month after he kills Cindy Shaw, Kemper and his mom have a huge fight, and he storms out. Um, With the heightened suspicion of a serial killer preying on hitchhiking college girls around the Santa Cruz area, students were advised to only accept rides from cars with the university stickers on them. Kemper's car had the UCSC sticker on it because his mom worked for UC Santa Cruz. So he picks up 23 year old Rosalind Heather Thorpe first, and then within minutes he picks up a second hitchhiker. And her name was Alice Helen Liu. Who and she had like no hesitation getting into the car because there was already yeah, somebody was it the same else way, in it. That make you feel better? Yeah, there was already somebody else in there. Safe. Uh, he drove them around for a few minutes and this time he didn't even stop the car to kill them. He kind of slows down and he gets Rosalind to look out the passenger side window and then shoots her in the back of the head. And then he immediately turns around to the back seat and fires several shots at Alice. He hits her, doesn't kill her immediately. Uh, once they were out of town, Kemper shot her point blank to finish her off and then transferred both bodies into his trunk. He stopped for gas and then went back to his mother's apartment but left quickly claiming that he needed to go out for cigarettes. Uh, once he was outside of the apartment, he pulled the car off the street, opened the trunk and beheaded both bodies. Casual thing you do on, you know. Casual thing. Driveway activities. That nobody saw. Nobody saw. It's an apartment complex. Like, come on. You I'm sorry, like, it's a duplex. You see like 13 dead bodies in cars. You don't <sighs> even know. We hate that. Also, I look in all the cars now. I do too. <laughs> uh, so the next morning, he brought Alice's corpse inside to have sex with it, and he brought Rosalind's head in to remove the bullet. He drove away from Santa Cruz to dispose of most of the body parts and then dumped the heads and hands in, into the Pacifica. Like, in that area. Yeah. So that's probably where he, they found the hand. Uh, and also, in his killing spree, he used to get drunk and go sit outside of the sheriff's department, like, imagining turning himself in. Yeah, he was a weird—I mean, skull-fucking-people is weird enough, but he was a real fucking weirdo. Yes. Yes. But, like, he knew that he, like, couldn't turn himself in yet because he hadn't killed his mom yet. No, I know, but I almost understand, like, the Ted Bundys of the world more than I understand killing people and then dreaming about turning yourself in. Right, or sitting outside of the sheriff's department, like drunk, contemplating turning yourself in, but oh, mom's not dead yet, we gotta wait. Yeah, he was like a displacement killer. (sighs) Um, Prior to killing his mom, he decides to kind of test himself out to see where he stands with like his boundaries on killing people, I guess. So he picks up two girls hitchhiking and he picks them up on Ashby Avenue, which is the same street that he picked up Marianne and Anita. He says the two sets of women were almost identical, around five foot two, petite figures, one black hair, one blonde hair. He said that it was just like deja vu. He liked little girls. Yes, because he's a large man and they're easier to control. Yeah. He said that the control in the situation is what he always fought for, which is why he felt like he needed to kill them immediately. Yeah, but like I think if you're six man, like arguably he could control anybody. Even at 5'10", he's still a whole fucking foot taller than you. Yeah. Um, so he's having this, like, horrible internal battle about where, whether he drives these girls to where they want to go or where he wants to take them to kill them. Um, this was one week before he killed his mother. So after he drops the girls off at their college, he told himself that he, quote-unquote, either she, she's she got to die, I've got to die, or girls like that are going to continue to die. So now, Easter weekend. The night that he killed his mother, she had come home drunk from a party. It woke Ed up and he came out and his mother was laying there reading a book. And she looks up at him and says, oh, I suppose you're going to want to sit up all night and talk now. Ed said, no, good night. And he knew in that moment that he was going to kill her. He went back in there in a rage at 515 on a Saturday morning. And he attacks her with a hammer and then cuts off her head. And it took him less than a minute to kill her. Which is also crazy because his mom also stood over six feet tall. Yep. Well, she was already asleep when he went in there. Oh. He, he he bludgeoned her in the head first and then just chopped her head off less than a minute she was never even awake nope and then in his words he quote-unquote humiliates the corpse uh, he pinned her head to a wall which he said he yelled at for about an hour while throwing darts at it he also ripped out her vocal cords and shoved them down the garbage disposal but they kept getting spit back out at him because they're not like a soft material to break down yeah your larynx isn't it's it's not food uh, he said that it was an, it was appropriate because she bitched and screamed at him so much over the years. Why would she stop when she's dead? After he hid his mother's body in the house and cleaned up a bit, Ed left. He spent the afternoon thinking about his next move when he decided that if somebody else was found dead alongside his mother in the house, then he wouldn't look suspicious. So he went home and he called Sarah Hallett, his mother's friend. They apparently went out of town all the time together, so it wouldn't be... Yeah, they were like old, cute ladies. Too. I mean, I don't know if Clarnell was cute. But... She was not cute. I have pictures. Um, I just saw her head. <laughs> so he invites Sarah over for, and he says that he wants to take them out as it's like a surprise dinner for his mom. She agrees and when she arrives, Kemper punches her once in the stomach and then strangles her. He puts Sarah's body on his bed naked and attempted to have sex with the corpse. And his mom's still in like that same room too. Yeah. Different part of the room. He's She's like hidden in the room. Okay, but she's still there. She's still there. All dead bodies everywhere. Um... On Easter Sunday morning, he left driving Sarah's car. He was paranoid that he'd be discovered, so he dropped Sarah's car off at a gas station, telling the attendant that it needed repairs and rented a car. He drove for 18 hours and only stopped for gas, soda, and Nodos, so that he could just stay awake. Yeah, what are those caffeine pills? Pretty much, my I mom think... takes them on road trips. I heard. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it's basically just caffeine pills. Um, he got stopped in Colorado for speeding, but kept his composure, paid his fine, and kept driving. He finally stopped in Pueblo, Colorado on April 24th, 1973, where he placed a call to the Santa Cruz Police Department. It took several calls (laughs) for them to believe that it was not like a prank call. They thought that somebody was pranking them. They thought once they realized that it was Ed calling, that he was just playing a big old joke on them. They didn't think that their buddy, Big Ed, could be the co-ed killer. They finally realized it was not a joke, but he was like so disoriented from driving for 18 hours straight and living off of soda and caffeine pills. Uh, he, like, was having trouble leading p- police to the public phone booth that he was using. Yes. So when he was finally taken into custody, a team of ing- investigators from Santa Cruz went to Pueblo so that they could question him, and that's where Kemper gave explicit and detailed confessions for all eight murders. And everybody was, like, impressed, surprised at how, like, just calm and collected he was? Yeah. He was telling it like he was reading them a bedtime story. Like... Yeah. It was no problem. Totally normal. Totally normal. BTK's confession was kind of like that too Yeah Equally as creepy for him Oh, worse Yeah BTK would hide in your house for like hours No, thank you No, I'm just telling you (laughs) Once he got back to Santa Cruz Kemper led investigators to the various disposal sites that he had used to dump body parts His confession was so detailed and thorough that his court-appointed public defender, James Jackson had no avenue for defense except for an insanity plea Homie has to be straight up psycho to admit to doing all of this I mean he is he is but not he's legally sane so uh, prosecution witness Dr. Joel Fort did the most damage to the insanity plea like he was trying to get it thrown out he knew that Kemper was not wasn't crazy he reviewed Kemper's case going all the way back to his killing his grandparents his five-year stint at a Tuscadero and his diagnosis and interviewed Kemper extensively he says that Kemper was not a paranoid schizophrenic as he was diagnosed. He was obsessed with sex and violence, craved attention, going so far as to slash his own wrists with a ballpoint pen during the trial in a suicide attempt. You have uh, to go at your wrist hard. But he was not insane. Yes. It's like a plastic ballpoint pen. Come on. Um so he's Fort is saying that he's not insane. Or people like don't know what like a sociopath is yet. No, it's no. Yeah. They also don't know what a serial killer is yet. No. He's kind of like not the first, but like he's the first paving specimen the they way. Have. Yes. Um, Ford also says that if Kemper were ever released, he would kill again without a doubt. So during the three week trial, nobody was successful in convincing the jury that he was not like or that he was insane. Not a witness, not his sisters, not even the doctors from Tescadero that had originally Oh, his sisters testified for him? Yes. They were trying to say that he was not or that he was insane for his plea. Really? Yes. All of it, no. Um, The jury deliberated for five hours and they came back with guilty of first-degree murder on all eight counts. He was observed (laughs) briefly at Vacaville Medical Facility and he was sent to the maximum security prison at Folsom for the rest of his life. He asked for the, the death penalty, requesting death by torture. Okay. But California does not do the death penalty, so he received seven years to life for each count to be served concurrently. Seven years? Seven years to life. I don't like that seven. Nah, he's in there for life. No, but they keep trying to parole his ass. Yes, and he declines every parole, hearing, yes. meeting, anything that's offered to him, he straight up is not interested. He said there's no place in society for him now. Well, there's there's not. There's not. A Stanford psychiatrist, Donald Lund, interviewed Kemper from 1972 to 1973. So the guards would lock them both in a small room and a panic button was under the table so they could like alert the guards when they were finished. And Lund said that he, he said, quote, I laughed at the notion that Kemper might attack me. He had no reason to do so, and beside the panic button would bring a squad of deputies instantly. Kemper then reminded Lund, has it ever dawned on you that I'm a foot taller and weigh damn near twice what you do? When Lund hit the panic button, it took seven minutes for the guards to respond. <gasps> Former FBI agent Robert K. Ressler had a similar interaction with Kemper. In the same interview room, Ressler hit the panic button and the guards didn't respond. Noticing his panic... Kemper chillingly told him, If I went apeshit in here, you'd be in a lot of trouble, wouldn't you? I could screw your head off and place on the table to greet the guards. The guards entered the room 30 minutes later. Wow. Right? That's crazy. That's terrifying because he's, like, acknowledging, like, Also, these two people, they, like, Lund wrote that book, Find Hunter. Okay. Um, and they, with these interviews of Kemper, basically formulated a serial killer and what they were. Yes. And they, like, designated, like, the difference between, like, Edmund Kemper and Richard Speck, who was, like, a spree killer. Mm -hmm. And so, like, he helped make these definitions. Yes, they, like, used him to form, like, the serial killer is, like, three or more murders with, a like, a cool-down period between them versus, like, a spree killer, which is, like, two or more, but in the same... Four or more. Four or more for spree killers in the same like instant like in the same event like whatever yeah like then a mass murder is like two or two or more in the same like area yeah yeah I know but it's like it's terrible but like some good did come out of Ed Kemper a lot of knowledge that we wouldn't have like because he's been interviewed so extensively like he has like six or seven interviews he can watch and several documentaries and He's allowed so many psychologists and psychiatrists to, like, pull information from him to base what, like, what their, like, patterns might be and what makes a serial killer. Well, and they tried to interview a ton of people, like, for this research, but, like, Manson wasn't cooperative, like, Speck wasn't cooperative, like. And Ed Kemper's just like, here's all this information. Here's my story in very gruesome detail. Are we ready? But they also, like, um, proposed it to him, like, we need you to teach us, which, like, he fucking loved. Yeah, it's the attention thing. Yeah. He loved it. Yeah, let me tell you every single thing about me. You need me for this. Yeah. So he thought it was great. And then he's, like, also buddy-buddy with the cops again. Yeah. He gets to chat with them several times. So he's like a model prisoner. Why wouldn't he be? There's no heads for him to fuck in there. Yeah. So I think my favorite part of Ed Kemper's prison, I thought it was the audiobooks and like the interviews. I really did. But Ed Kemper narrated thousands of books for the blind. Yes. Also, one of, a lot of them were V.C. Andrews books, which like really creeps me out because I read a lot of those they were also a lot of children's books. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, no. So, I can't tell if these were, like, for blind prisoners or, like, blind people in mental institutions, but, like, I like I said before, you cannot get these books. I don't know if you became, like, so popular. That people just wanted them for... But, like, you, I, like, you can't get them. That's so weird. It's so annoying. It is pretty annoying. Anyways, I... <laughs> So, um, we already talked about how Herbert Mullen was yes. killing people around the same time he was. So, in this prison, there's Herbert Mullen and Charles Manson. That's, that's too many psychos in one prison. I know, <laughs> I love it. Um, <laughs> so, he, Kemper showed a particular like hatred for Mullen. Um, Mullen committed his murders at the same time. Um, in the same he, place. Same time, same place. He described Mullen as just a cold-blooded killer. Killing everybody he saw for no good reason. Uh, Kemper somehow felt like his murders were justified. Well, yes, because he was killing people instead of his mother. I don't know, but Herbert Mullen was just a downright dirty serial killer. How dare he? How dare he? So, um, <laughs> he would also, like, kind of go back and forth with Mullen because Mullen only got convicted of, like, two accounts of murder out of, like, the 13 he killed. Mm-hmm. And Kemper got basically credit for all his. He did, yeah. So he is the um, superior serial killer in his eyes. He sure is. <laughs> um, so Kemper manipulated and physically intimidated Mullen, who was five foot nine inches tall. Um, Kemper stated that Mullen had a habit of singing and bothering people when he was watching TV. Mm-hmm. Like he would sing, like like if a baseball game was on, was like. He's going to first base. Da, oh, da, that, da, da, da. that is annoying. So <laughs> he said, I'm going to, this is a quote. Mullen had a habit of singing and bothering people when somebody tried to watch TV. So I threw water on him to, to <laughs> shut him up. Then when he was a good boy, I'd give him peanuts. Herbie <laughs> liked peanuts. That was effective because pretty soon he'd ask permission to sing. to sing. That's called behavior modification treatment it sure is i don't think that ed needed to be doing that in prison though i love it it's so good i also love it he's like also herbert hated herbie and ed did it on purpose (laughs) (laughs) he'd only refer to him as herbie herbie's awful walking like through the hall and he would just like tower over him and be like hey herbie well yeah because he's a foot taller i know Ugh. Herbie's a terrible nickname, anyways. Herbert is it? It's it's all bad. There's no good like name I never to thought pull out of that. Edmund Emil would be better, but it is. Ee, yeah, that's what his father's name was. Ugh. Just a sound. Just a sound. So he was considered a model prisoner. Obviously, he's been in charge of scheduling inmates' appointments with psychiatrists, and was an accomplished craftsman of ceramic cups. I mean, clay is a fun hobby. I guess if you have to. Pick Mm -hmm. something up in prison. Yep. He also, (laughs) like, coordinated the, like, blind audiobook recording. Um, And he has over 5,000 hours and several hundred completed recordings to his name. Wow. Uh Uh-huh. He was retired from these positions in 2015 after he experienced a stroke and was declared medically disabled. He received his first rules of violation report in 2016 for failing to provide a urine sample. Interesting. So all those years in prison, that was like his first no-no. Like 33 years in prison. Yeah. Um. He's participated in thousands of interviews, literally. Yeah. Um, he was in a segment in the 1982 documentary called Killing America, as well as an appearance in a 1984 documentary called Murder with No Apparent Motive. Um, and his, yeah, like I said, his interviews have contributed to the understanding mind of the serial killers. Hmm. Um, John Douglas described Kemper as among the brightest prison inmates he ever interviewed. Well, that happens when you have a genius level IQ. Yeah. He was first eligible for parole in 1979, and he was denied parole that year, as well as at parole hearings in 1980, 1981, and 1982. And then he waived his right um, to his parole in 1988, where he said society is not in any shape or form for me. I can't fault them for that. 1979 is um, only six years after. Mm -hmm. That's way too soon to be eligible for parole for killing eight people. I'm so sorry. So in 2007, he actually went to a parole hearing. Really? Yep. We just wanted to see what it was like. I guess. Where he was denied again, Mm -hmm. rightfully so. Mm -hmm. Um, The prosecutor said, we don't care how much of a model prisoner he is because of the enormity of his crimes. Um, And then... Kemper waived his right to a hearing in 2012, and he was denied in 2017, and he is next eligible in 2024. I'm pretty sure he's going to waive that one, too. Yeah, his family says they're, like, afraid for him to get out, which, like, I can totally see why, but, like, I also, like, with all these fuck-ups that the prisons have had, like, Charles Manson, when he was released from juvie and declared sane, he told them they needed to keep him because he was going to kill people. Yeah. Also, Kemper... And they didn't. They're like, ah, nah, you're, you're, you're fine. You're good. You're, you're good. And then he has, like, one of the most heinous murders. Stop releasing murders. So I, like, really, I truly don't think, even if he went to a hearing, that they would offer him parole. No. He's also... He would be 75. I was like, he is... 24. Old. In 2024, Ed Kemper would be 75. But do you know what? Watching the Golden State Killer in his prison Mm -hmm. it's creepy and he moves oh yeah shockingly well do you remember right when he got caught and I was like look at this video of him in his cell and homie's like climbing up on his bed and cleaning the top shelf Uh and he like paces and does workouts yep but then while he's 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 like 75 yes and but like while he's in court he will sit in a wheelchair conniving motherfucker it's like the Jodi Arias thing Ugh. she looks She had, like, bleach blonde hair. Uh Uh-huh. And then when she goes to court, she's got, like, mousy brown hair, these dipshit glasses. Uh Uh-huh. Look at me. Feel bad for me. Mm. I could never kill somebody. I was abused. Sure. She sure was not. Sure. Likely story. So, yeah, that's why I love Ed Kemper. Also, like, I feel like the necrophilia was not mentioned as much as it is. I mean, he liked to have sex with the bodies. He usually decapitated them first. And then had sex with their heads. I did not see anything that said had sex with their heads. Oh. In everything that I've, like, read and watched. I, I read that he was, like, a... He kept the heads, so, like, he might have. He also has a recanted confession. So when he was interviewed... <laughs> I love that. So when he was being interviewed by Dr. Joel Fort... Mm -hmm. he had I think that's the same guy who actually worked with him as a teenager he might be Um, so he had done an interview under truth serum Kemper did and he admitted to cannibalism like slicing off pieces of the flesh and cooking it it into a casserole yes but as soon as he was off the truth serum he recanted that confession like a few years later because he didn't want cannibalism on his record no yeah no I read that that he made casseroles out of people uh huh like thigh casserole uh huh yeah, no, I'm pretty sure he had sex with people's skulls. Probably. Because that was something that I, like, remember reading and being like... Because, seriously, like, if you watch him and you, like, ignore what he's talking about, you think he's your friend. He's, he's very personable and he knows how to talk to people. So, like, Mindhunter did a great job. Yes. So, like, they didn't, like, go to his hospital room when he had the stroke or anything mm-hmm. like that. Like, none of that's true, but, like, the way... That they portray the interviews kind of go. Making them seem like they're friends. Yeah. So in school, I had to watch an Ed Kemper interview, mm-hmm. a few of them. Um, and when I was watching Mindhunter, I don't, like, when it first came out, mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember me texting you, but I was like, I literally can't go to bed because the episode ended, like, right when they started the interview and the next one picked up with the interview mm-hmm. because the guy's demeanor... Oh, it's like a stature. Dead on. Like, I was sitting there watching it being like, I feel like I'm watching an Ed Kemper interview. I'm watching an actual. No, they like spot on with that actor. And I was so on edge with his size for the people interviewing him. Oh, yeah. It was like a beautiful um, moment. I feel like it probably felt like what Ed Kemper's first interview was really like. Yeah. I also feel like Mindhunter made Ed Kemper popular. I think so because uh, I always knew who he was but I don't yeah. think anybody like not a lot of people did because like every time I go to the zoo it's like the Susan Kemper yes yeah but the, I'm always like why would you do that there's like some room at the Phoenix Zoo yeah and the person's last name is Kemper and I just only ever think of it yeah you have to yeah the actor that plays him is six five. Oh shit yeah his name so is not Cameron Britton. He's not even as tall. <laughs> and but like, like still 6'5 like towers over average height people. Why am I losing his name? He's my favorite. Jonathan Groff? Mm-hmm. He's not a little person. mm He's like. No. A very normal sized man. Yeah. He's watched Mindhunter. I think the Mindhunter is great. They nailed <laughs> the show every detail. I know. It didn't get canceled. They let people out of their contracts basically canceling it so good it It is dramatized but it's like the right amount it gives a lot of very informative information while dramatizing i think for like ratings and reviews like the average person like uh like we will sit down and watch documentary after documentary i don't have a problem with that but like the average person wants the drama i know nick thinks mind hunter is boring nick is boring sorry nick he was like I don't know how you're watching this. that.
0: Like, <laughs> it's so good! I'll
1: be honest, the first episode was very slow for me. I think me. I had to talk you into it you a You did, bit because too. I started and stopped the first episode like 12 times. And I'm like, okay, just get through it. It has to get better. I'm like, push through it. The people they cast are fucking perfect. <laughs> and they were. They yeah. nailed the casting. The Charles Manson guy in the oh second times on the table, which I always thought was weird. But then I learned he was five too. And. When you crouch down on the table, you're like five, six. Yeah, when you jump up on top of it and preach your beliefs to people. Because he's sitting on it like a fucking gremlin, like a gargoyle. He looks like one anyways. Yeah, and also he played um, Manson in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I I haven't watched that one. I, so I really like it because it's like the Manson story happily ever after. Oh, good. So like Leonardo DiCaprio is like this washed up actor um, because Western films aren't popular anymore, and Brad Pitt is his stunt double, mm-hmm. and somehow they come across, I think it's Margot Robbie, and she's involved with the Manson clan, and they realize how, like, sketchy it is, so then they, yes, Margot Robbie plays Sharon Tate. Yeah, so then shit happens, and they roll up on the Manson clan and kill Manson. It's great, like, I was so nervous about Quentin Tarantino doing this, because I was just like, He's going to make this dark as fuck. Like, this is not going to be a It's not going to be good. He's going to just, like, balls to the walls. It is dark as fuck.
0: I'll
1: have to watch it. But it's literally, like, Manson, what if, happily ever after. Like, <laughs> I was so happy with it. It's, like, not factual, but, like, the good guy wins. It was, like, so satisfying to watch, I guess. I'll have to watch it. Like, watch Manson die in, like, an old Western shootout. Like, it was just great. <laughs> I enjoyed it so much, and I love Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh, same. That actor is uh, Damon Harriman. Is he 5'2"? Um... But, I mean, I feel it. Like, like, what else is he? He's 5'7". Okay, I mean, he's little. But not not Manson little. Not Manson little. Not our height little. I know. I was like, <laughs> Manson's <not a> little. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if Manson and Kemper had any interactions. Manson know. was probably on, like, a, a highly secured, because he just I he, I picture him being the kind of person in prison to just fuck with everybody. Well, he fucking carved his swastika into I, his yes, head. Yes, he sure did. Did you see his interview? Mm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Creepy. People believed him. People listened to what he had to say. Yeah, because he drugged them with LSD first. That's fun. It was. We love it. Sixties. Yeah, everybody was on LSD. It's fine. Woo! <laughs> 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 More drugs. It worked out so well. Drugs for everybody. Free drugs. drugs. I do think we should legalize drugs. Yeah, same. We're on our way. Yeah, we're getting there. Eventually. Woohoo, Pop. Yay, Pop. <laughs> That's all I got. Oh, me too. I think that the, um, that I think we're gonna go paranormal. Yeah. For the next episode. I'm gonna eventually prepare myself and fall into a reddit hole tonight. I, I wanna do Slender Man. Okay, that one's fine. It doesn't freak me out as bad. Okay. Let still, me know if you find something creepier. No, I still think about the black-eyed children daily. Don't think about the black-eyed <laughs> children. Same. <laughs> I hate myself for picking that. What was it? It was like literally a couple days ago. And I think you were like outside on the phone. Like on your way in and Blake heard you. And he's like, was that a black-eyed child? I'm like, <laughs> shut the fuck up. <laughs> I was like, that's Cassie. Stop. He's like. Are you sure? I'm like, you have to shut up. (laughs) He's just fucking with you. I think he might be more scared than I am. Really? Probably. I guess that's true. I asked him to play the left-right game, and he said, fuck no. (laughs) Yeah, he doesn't like paranormal stuff. Me either. I love it. Nope. I love the creepy shit. I like the serial killer creepy shit, or like one-offs creepy shit. But like the stuff (laughs) where I'm like, I don't know if it's real. Is it? It might be (laughs) real. Also, like, you Ooh. can't... Maybe I'll do Annabelle. Ooh, I love Annabelle. I don't love Annabelle. You have to binge watch all the movies first. I've They're seen so... the real Annabelle, okay? Like, the movie or the doll? The doll. In person? Yeah, when I was a teenager. I'm jealous. I'm not. I literally was, like, standing 14 feet away from everything in that fucking house. I was, like, <laughs> at the door, but I'm like, oh, this is really cool. They also, um... My dream would be to go to the Warren house, but it's not even open anymore. It's not, because they it's died, and I know. their kids have... Like, the kids have it. yeah the kids have and they her. probably don't want to fuck with that shit either oh no she's locked up tight secured goodbye also what about that doll in florida the boy robert roberto robert. i don't know one of the two he's fucked too. he is fucked up. the isle of the dolls oh maybe i'll do that yeah that one was not as i thought that one was gonna fuck me up but that was not as pretty. no it's There's not as creepy. creepy the pictures are weird the pictures are creepy yeah I guess it'll be a surprise. Maybe we'll put up a poll and see what people think. Got Slenderman, Annabelle, I love the dolls. Yeah, Robert's not as interesting. He's just got a couple things. I think Robert and Annabelle would be tied together. Yeah. Doll possessions. Oh my god, I hate it already. An entire episode on doll possessions. Once a week, you're just going to see me want to crawl out of my skin, hear me. But then it'll be for like the same week after, so like for two solid weeks. Just through the rest of my life, apparently. (laughs) Who needs skin anyway? Crawl right out. (laughs) Just bones. I'm done. All right, thank you. All right, thanks for listening. Bye. Bye, bye.